I don't know about you, but I want to figure out how to be a little more balanced. Life is full of chaos, adventure, and the unknown. I am on the search to hear from those who can make this journey more fun and easy as I learn how to be better to myself, enhance my health, and be a part of ending human trafficking. I am thrilled to announce my guest today on The Balance Girl is Kate J. Osine. She is a wife, mother of two, and a passionate digital creator, podcaster, and advocate for human trafficking. She uses her platform to educate and amplify preventative information to bring more awareness to human trafficking. Her purpose is to educate and share preventative education to bring more awareness to human trafficking, online exploitation, and protecting our children online. Her podcast, Amplify, has a goal to amplify survivors' voices and amplify organizations, advocates, and alleys. I don't think I've ever seen anyone create more human trafficking, anti-human trafficking uh, content in such a way that draws you in to pay attention and make a change. So join me today, Kate. Welcome to The Balance Girl. No pressure, but today, Kate, I am introducing you as going to be one of the most epic podcasts on The Balance Girl. So I have been watching your Instagram and following you and so excited we connected virtually. We have a lot in common, but you are one of my favorite accounts to follow. So welcome, Kate Osin to The Balance Girl. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, you are with us from Canada. And Kate, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? All right. So it's actually kind of a long story and people are kind of get confused, maybe because I'm long winded as well in my um, when I speak sometimes. But my background is in digital marketing and online like content creation. I manage different social media platforms for different nonprofits in my city. Um, I'm also working with a few different nonprofits to create content around online safety and exploitation. Um, so uh, different types of course content, um, just so we can kind of get more people involved to learn about what is happening online with uh, online exploitation, child sexual abuse material, human trafficking, etc. So that is kind of my background. Um, I started my Instagram account three years ago, and I used it to amplify voices of survivors and lived experience experts in human trap and in the anti trafficking community. And it was my goal to amplify their voices, their message, their nonprofits, just to try to get the word out. Um, and my account kind of took off and exploded like within two weeks. So it was a wild ride, but I've continued to try to create different content and raise awareness um, around all of the different topics. So that's a little bit about my background. You know what? That's so funny because before I actually knew about your background um, fully, I just was telling you how your content is set apart from other accounts. And, you know, sometimes I think when we think of nonprofits, um, we don't spend money on digital. And when we don't do that, we don't capture people's attention. And so your accounts, again, I'm going to be linking to your account, but I am so obsessed with it because um, 
it, it really is uh, you want to engage and keep looking at your story and follow along and learn and grow. And, and so I love that that's your background and your passion about this because we need it, um, especially in the anti-human trafficking world. So let's jump in. Okay. So you initially worked with a local company um, that worked with clients who were getting out of human trafficking and the sex trade. How did this um, start to shape your view on sexual exploitation and social media? I think honestly, what stood out to me is that I had never really seen an account that was really bringing awareness to it, especially in Canada, right? Because oftentimes people think this only happens overseas um, and not in our backyards, in our cities. Um, So that was probably the biggest thing that stuck out to me is that I was hired to, um, you know, promote and market their nonprofit. And it was around human trafficking and online exploitation and women exiting the sex trade. Um, But I had never seen like an actual advocate or come across an advocate, I guess I should say, that was trying to amplify those messages, like without getting paid, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like obviously there are a lot of different social movements that have um, been online recently in the last couple of years. And I thought, you know what, I have the skill set. This is something that I'm passionate about. Um, I would love to help people. That's just something that is within my my heart. And so I thought, why don't I just apply my skill set and what I know and try to further amplify that uh, separate from me working with clients and nonprofits. Um, so yeah, that was probably something that really stuck out to me is that I didn't see a lot of advocates other than people who did have lived experience or maybe worked within those nonprofits, law enforcement, um, first responders, those sorts of things. So, yeah. So I think that even though you're in Canada, I find your content so relevant. Like I'm an American, I was just living in Ireland and for six years, I feel like it's so relevant to how we're seeing grooming, exploitation, especially on social media. Um, And so many times, you know, I notice that people like to distance themselves from sex trafficking and being a part of um, even the buying, you know, and, and what we call entertainment these days. And, and so I find that one, wherever you live, pay attention to Kate's Instagram because it's, it's relevant everywhere. And yeah, a lot of the stuff you're dealing with, with your own government, I find is relevant all over as well. So I just want to put that little plug in for you um, there. <laughs> but, um, one of, okay. So I noticed that, um, one of the main goals we have as advocates for ending sex trafficking is to obviously get more funding from our government. And I, I love that. It's like, you know, such a lucrative human trafficking is like a billion dollar, you know, business or crime or whatever. And so it's like, we're fighting against billions of dollars trying to just raise millions of dollars to support survivors and stop sex trafficking. You've got a lot going on over over there with your prime minister with regards to funding. Tell us a little bit about that and, um, you know, how you're feeling right now about money going back to sex trafficking. I think that this is like such a deep rooted question as well, because it intertwines with obviously 
vulnerabilities of communities as well, right? So the government obviously does a hand does have a hand in that, right? About different communities that are vulnerable and not having the resources and kind of pushing those vulnerable populations into the sex trade, for example. So I think it's it's very deep rooted in that sense. But your question has to probably do more so with how our prime minister two years ago, when the pandemic hit and there was like millions of dollars being thrown at ad campaigns and marketing campaigns to raise awareness about a pandemic, COVID, what you can do, et cetera. Um, In that time, he pulled over $75 million that was going towards nonprofits to keep them running. So not only were these nonprofits not allowed to operate during COVID, they were not receiving any funding. Um, That was supposed to be something that was automatically renewed each year. It was like a five-year plan that they had put forth to end human trafficking. And as soon as the pandemic hit, it was supposed to renew in that March, and he pulled out of that and didn't obviously offer those grants, um, funding, those sorts of things to, um, specific nonprofits. Um, but I think that that kind of happens within any government really, like it's, it happened in Alberta as well with, um, Jason Kenney and he pulled some funding that was supposed to help women exit the sex trade, but that Mm -hmm. was, uh, over four years ago. So that's it. I mean, it's all kind of, they all play a hand in it, right? In some sort of way, which kind of goes back to me starting with how, you know, we do have these vulnerable communities and people who are obviously more vulnerable vulnerable to be exposed or um, entering the sex trade, for example, like foster kids, the indigenous communities, um, women with mental health um, and addictions, and even men doesn't just happen to females, right? So... I think the government definitely plays a huge role in that um, in many different ways. So, yeah. I I could go in so many directions as a follow-up question here. Um, You're you're dead right, though, because if I learned anything, this is what made me so mad in the pandemic, but I'm sure um, that, well, I already know just from following you, it made you mad too, um, was watching how we could censor social media with like fact checking, which means why in the world can we not censor like that with sexual exploitation? Like the amount of times I turn in graphic um, nudity or pictures or people being sold on, and I could name TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. um, And we don't shut it down and we can't. And I don't see these accounts being shut down. And I'm like, what the heck? And so I couldn't figure out in the pandemic how we swept so quickly, you know, COVID and being concerned. And and I don't care how you believe, like, not to get into that or politics of that, but how we don't have more of a stance against child exploitation or exploitation in general. I I can't even comprehend it. Mm -hmm. So it's really frustrating. So some of the things you're, um, you know, talking about on your social platform is just this um, increased grooming and online abuse, internet grooming, online abuse over the last year, like 
I feel like it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Like what, where's your head at with that and where we're at? It's, it's definitely getting worse. Um, and I mean, I don't have the list of statistics and data in my head right now of how many children were affected by this, but I know that obviously kids helpline in Canada, astronomically like 2 million more calls than the year prior to when the pandemic started. And that kind of goes down the list of like eating disorders and mental health suicide um, and then exploitation as well. So uh, there is a lot of data and statistics out there. And I think obviously it does have a lot to do with how accessible technology is as well to children right now, especially because a lot of them were forced to pivot online for Mm. school. So parents were trying to work from home. Kids were trying to learn, learn in school. Um, parents weren't really catching a break (laughs) at all during that time. I remember for myself, it was fairly difficult. Um, but obviously I have the knowledge in what can happen online. So I feel like not only were children kind of forced to learn in a completely different way, they were also just handed a a device without having knowledge in what can occur online. Um, and not to say that it's just obviously, um, predators who are reaching out to children, um, for content. It also, I believe in 2020, it was like one in seven said they shared their own nudes, um, in 2020. And that was like nine to 12 year olds. So not only are, do we have predators online, we have peers, uh, school people that we know at school and they're trading their own child sexual abuse material because that's our culture now. Right. Um, so there was definitely a lot of different hazards that came with the pandemic and, um, kids being more susceptible to being targeted online. And I think too, there, there is a lot of data around children who, um, were selling their own content just to, you know, be able to feed themselves like some teens, um, that I was reading about. So, I definitely think that not only did it, you know, do a lot to children mentally, it also just made them completely more susceptible to being exploited online than they would have uh, two years prior. So one of your posts you just made is kind of in regards to this. It was disturbing. You, you I'm quoting, you know, um, not only do we have adults grooming children online, we have youth grooming their peers online. Platforms are grooming kids. Television, music are grooming our children. Soon they'll call it coming of age. Wait, they already are. Eight-year-olds are watching porn. Eight-year-olds are being asked if they want a sex on Roblox. Eight-year-olds are creating their own child sexual abuse material. Eight-year-olds sex torting others. I mean, and this just goes on and on and on. And then I love when you're like, should I, like, I don't even know, do I keep sharing this stuff? Is anyone listening? Um, <laughs> where are you at with this? Like, what would you say to anyone listening today? Like, what's their role in this? I think that we're putting a lot of, and I'm probably, I might get a lot of hate for this, but I think that we're putting a lot of um, our efforts into blaming big tech and private companies. We're saying, why aren't you you know, taking this down or why, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Which obviously they do play a part in because this is a cash cow for them. They monetize all of our data. They monetize us. 
We know this. Um, but I think that there's a lot of emphasis on that. And we need to go back to where, where do children learn about online safety? What, what is their first experience of being online or seeing online? It's us, the parents. We are constantly on our devices. So whatever they are seeing in us, they want to mirror. They want to do those things. So I think that a lot of times, like I said, the emphasis is on private companies, but we need to kind of look at ourselves as parents and individuals um, because it is not the child's job to protect themselves. It is the parents. That is our number one goal. That is what we should be doing. Um, and so if you are a parent listening, um, someone who is a caregiver, um, I just urge you to take a little bit of time and this doesn't take long. You could honestly go on Google and type in online exploitation of children and it will bring up different stats in Canada, Australia, UK, um, the USA, all those different places. And it's going to break down how common this is happening online, um, and I think that we just really kind of need to look at ourselves as well and just say, you know, what we're kind of doing and teaching is is mirrored, right? Our children want to do those things. Um, and obviously, don't be afraid. It de- it's dependent on age, of course. But don't be afraid to be talking to your children about, you know, I know maybe your friend Sarah has a phone at school. Um, I know that obviously you probably want a phone as well, because sometimes when we see people have things, we want them to. Um, But this is just something that I feel as a parent, your mom, uh, your dad, that I don't think is necessarily appropriate or safe for you to be on. And this is just my way of protecting you from those things. Um, but children are obviously a lot more aware than we think. I have a 12 year old and a nine year old and I've had, I've been having these conversations for probably four years now. It's been four years of me having these discussions. So they're kind of at that point, obviously now where they, they, they understand, they don't even ask me if they can have a phone or an iPad or anything. So (laughs) I think it's just like, you have to start having these conversations and just make it about you wanting to keep them safe and protected. Um, Maybe that was a few different suggestions, but no, I, that's what I, came I, to mind. I absolutely love that. And, you know, you did a post on your Instagram recently where um, you were talking about, you know, not leading with fear-based knowledge, but opening up a conversation like, and you made it so simple. You were talking about when you're in the car, if you're watching TV or bedtime and, you know, just, I mean, this is like mind blowing how simple this is, but parents are you know, the people that come to me for advice are not starting here. And I always say the first thing to do is just have a conversation. Um, and, and you talk about what do you think being online means? Do you think mm-hmm. there are harms to being online? And and you really talked about you're going to be shocked to hear what they open up. And the sooner you get to them, I, you just peg that you probably start talking to your kids around the age of four to five, mm-hmm. which is a perfect age. And I think parents are afraid to start then. But um I just love how easy um, you make it just those starting conversations and, and letting them talk as well. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we were like, do I just say that there's predators online? Like, and I mean, what four-year-old is really going to be able to really understand that. Right. Um, And not saying that a four-year-old would be asking for a cell phone. It's, I think it's just dependent, right? It's everyone's different. Everybody's uh, child is like socially aware in different ways. Um, So if they do bring it up, that's just a way to easily kind of start those conversations because even for me as an adult, 
I have to remind myself as well, like what, what is my digital footprint? Like I am a digital citizen. (laughs) What I am putting out online, which obviously sometimes is a bit out there and, you know, I'm a bit fiery. I kind of have to rein that back in and say, you know, like I'm leaving a digital footprint as well. So I think, yeah, it's just talking to them in just like an easy manner and just starting out with those basics. And then obviously when your children get older, um, talking to them about, you know, explicit material coming across that online. Um, That's something that I'm still kind of working on because I'm having those conversations with my 12 year old right now about that. So um, when I, when I figure that all out, hopefully I'll have an informative post to put out about that. (laughs) I love that. We'll look forward to it. Well, and then you do give uh, some warnings for parents and caregivers who youth are on apps like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. Um, I I feel like this is a loaded question, but um, what should parents know about these platforms? I open this question up all the time on my Instagram um, <laughs> before I'll be in a bathroom, like getting ready with a girlfriend and they'll start telling me about their 11 year old daughter on TikTok. And I'm like, <gasps> so tell me what, what would you tell these parents and um, their kids on these platforms? Um, I mean, they all have their own things, right? Some of them have chats, some of them don't, some of the con- comment sections, some of them can be privatized. Um, but I think honestly, a big thing is that even for you to think, okay, my child isn't going to talk to a stranger online. You know, they're just, you're just going to put that out there. So they have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, what I think a lot of parents don't realize is that these apps and these platforms and the people who are creating content on these platforms are not thinking about if an eight-year-old is going to see this content. So I've been on TikTok and I've seen um, a female who is talking about kinks and pornography and this isn't filtered out from your child anybody could see this I've made accounts specifically for age 13 14 just to kind of see what is going to come up on the algorithm and the longer that we're sitting and watching that one clip the more of that content is going to be you know presented to us and we're going to be consuming it more because that is what the algorithm is presenting and this goes more so for TikTok um, what I'm speaking about, but, um, yeah, we think, uh, we think, oh yeah, a predator, our, our child isn't going to talk to a predator, but what is happening is children are starting to see this different content online, whether it be like a clip from euphoria, that new show or a young girl dancing sexy in like not appropriate clothing. And then that child is going to want to mirror that. So I think a lot of it has to do with these apps and these platforms are essentially grooming our children and we don't probably know it because we're not actively sitting with our child, letting them watch TikTok and watching them watch it. Um, So I think that's something that I really like to inform parents of because then that kind of can lead into what I was talking about earlier with the on like creating your own child sexual abuse material you're basically creating your own so it's it's desensitizing them but also grooming them in a sense um and I think it can really happen on any app because I believe snapchat they have that that for you page as well that kind of 
gives different content and it might be like a cosmopolitan magazine about how to give oral sex um or on instagram if you go to the for you page there's obviously a lot of women that are bearing skin like a lot of skin so in a sense i just think not only should we be worried about people reaching out to them or peers it's also what they're digesting online and desensitizing them from so i hope that answers your question (laughs) very long-winded Yes, this is um, okay. A perfect segue into the Earn It Act because I feel like um, I love what you said earlier, though, about parents or anyone with kids in their life and how you know we are responsible for what we watch with our kids. I find this to be like a big topic lately because what I hear people are watching with their kids now is soft porn, hardcore porn, and we call it entertainment. So that disturbs me. Mm -hmm. Um, Or we call it a coming of age show. And I'm like, geez, the coming of age shows when I was young, didn't have this graphic sex. I mean, you can now, there was a show out recently with um, Reese Witherspoon and the kids were having like sex on TV. And I was like, they're minors. What is this? Like, I can't even, what? And um, anyways, So Earn It Act, I feel like it's so important because we as a society don't even know. Like I I guarantee you 80% of the parents out there that have handed their kids a phone or allowed them on an app don't even know what the Earn It Act is. Like what is your view on Earn It Act and how do you feel like we get that out there? I'm sometimes I'm honestly like on the fence because obviously you're being presented with like two different opinions on this. Um, and so people are like, well, how can you be in favor of the earn it act? If you're not in favor of Justin Trudeau's controversial internet regulation bill. <laughs> and I'm okay, like, yeah. okay, you called me out. Um, <laughs> but I think obviously a goal of mine and a few different advocates that I know is they want to hold tech accountable, right? Like this has been going on for decades, decades. These private companies, pri- I just, I love calling them private companies because it's just like, that's, that's how they think they can get away with it, right? Is because they're private. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that they have a lot of consequences and they should because it's long and overdue. Um, but then sometimes people will bring up, well, you know, this is going to be really bad for us because we're not going to be able to speak on things that we want to speak on. But then I'm like, well, that's kind of already happening already. Like you're either censored or blocked or your account, like my account was taken down two years ago for three days for talking about human trafficking. So, I mean, it already, it's already happening. So I'm just trying to understand how it could get much worse. But at the same time, I never want to be in favor of something that is going to censor voices. But I would rather at the same time have censored voices than allow, you know, child sexual abuse material to exist online for long periods of time. Because that's part of the whole problem is that it's sitting online. And more people are digesting that content and reselling it and recreating it, whatever they're doing with it. And so it's like two years and that content is still up. So I wish I really knew the answer for this one. I'm, I'm, I'm actually asked about this all the time and I don't really know what to say. And it's hard too, because also I'm in Canada, right? So I'm not really 
super knowledgeable in the Ernid Act, but it, someone who you could actually look at is uh, Chris from Protect Young Eyes. He knows a lot about it, and he actually um, has been, you know, working with the senators and stuff like that. Um, so if you if if anyone who is listening who wants to learn more about it, or you yourself, definitely check him out because he's he's a great advocate for children, and he does a lot of the work like within the government. So I think that that's really powerful and important to have that voice there. Well, and I think, you know, it just goes back to like each generation we're changing. So it used to be for kids to um, be exploited or abused um, or see explicit material. Someone had to show it to them. And generally it was um, someone in the family or, you know, someone that the person knew. It wasn't necessarily a stranger. The stranger was more uncommon. Um, Where nowadays it is the tech companies, the apps, the phone. There's a lot of ways kids are seeing it now without you know, us knowing. And so I think that, um, we as adults, parents have to step up and learn the new ways kids are, how we can protect our children, you know? And I think that there are a lot of parents out there having conversations like yourself. And I would know a lot of other advocates such as you having the right conversations, reading the right books, but yet then, you know, they just do something innocent within parameters and boom, you know, they can be subjected to hardcore porn. So mm-hmm. I think it's, um, if anything from today, Google, earn it, act, learn about it. Um, <laughs> and, and start to know that there's stuff out there to keep our kids safe. Um, do you have any favorite books that you love, uh, or recommend to read to children? I actually have one right here. <laughs> it's okay. good pictures, bad pictures. Oh, that's one of my favorites. And yeah, written by Christian Jensen. And um, I know that they changed their name, though. What did they change their name to? It's not Protect Young Minds anymore. What is it? I don't know. Sorry, I shouldn't have Out of Australia, right? Um, No, she's in the U.S., I think. Um, But the book is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And so they're obviously, um, the book is geared towards porn proofing. Uh, young kids today and they have two different books right they have a first edition and a second edition that teaches the younger generation and then you know teens Um, so that's probably one of my go-tos of how like I said I'm just starting to talk to my or not just but over the past year I've been trying to dial in on that different conversation because even though I don't allow them access to those things and I have all these digital barriers up if they're spending time with friends who do have digital devices, how does that, how do I keep him safe from that? Right. Um, So that's another thing that we really have to talk about is obviously you're going to be spending time with friends who do have these things. Doesn't mean it's okay. Exactly. Um, I think it's, is it defend young minds? Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Uh, cognitive change there. Well, I feel like I could go on and on and on with you all day long. I, first (laughs) of all, I just want to thank you so much for saying yes to being on the balance girl podcast. Um, tell us about how we can be a part of the solution or what you're working on that you want us to know, get involved with or follow. Hmm. I have a few things, um, ways that you can be, preventative. I think prevent prevention needs to be prior 
prioritized first within your homes. So obviously speaking to your children or, or other children that are within your lives. Um, it's easy to go on social media and talk about these different topics, but if we're not having these conversations in the home, you know, what is really the point, right? And I also think as well, um, just based off of like speaking to different survivors and people who have lived experience, um, a lot of them speak on kindness and just raising a generation that is going to be more kind. Um, because this honestly comes down to humanity, mm. to be quite honest. It has to do with um, either the people who are buying this content, buying individuals, um, producing those things. Um, where did they come from? Why are they the way that they are? Why are they buying sex? Why are they consuming pornography? Um, and that's something that I really learned within the, the anti-trafficking community is a lot of them are trying to advocate just for like humanity and just be kind. Um, so to teach your children kindness, um, some things that I'm working on, I can't really disclose one of them. Um, I'm really excited about it. It does have to do with a course and, um, educating parents and then as well as youth. So that is coming up soon. So if you want to give me a follow, I'll sh be sure to ad advertise that on my page. Um, and then I'm also doing a fundraiser right now. I am working to raise $4,500 for Move for Freedom um, for a charity that I work with. And my goal is to, to um, do 45 workouts within 45 days for 45 minutes. I kind of went over my date, but I got sick, so don't judge me. <laughs> um, so that's something that you can support. Um, and then as well as uh, just resharing content that I've created, uh, like you were just talking about today, the content that I made on digital well-being, that post is being blocked and not seen by people. What? It's very frustrating because I have other posts that are seen by like 100,000 people. And this one is like 4,000 people. And I'm like, okay, they're on, t they're like totally digging at me right now. So um, if you do want to follow me, um, feel free to share those important educational uh, content pieces that I have um, just so more parents are kind of aware, but also then they'll know how to approach these things or talk about these things, because obviously it's quite overwhelming. Um, mm. But yeah, is that good? I feel like you probably yes. more than you need it. That's amazing. Where are you at with your 45 for freedom? I am close. I have like 15 more days. Ooh. All right. That's all right. Nice. Yeah. Well, there's a, pri there's a private donor. They're matching the donations. So that's, that's awesome. kind of why I'm trying to like get that much. <laughs> yes. Well, good. Well, we're going to help you and support you and get you there. And I'm going to keep following you, supporting you and seeing how we can work together in the future. But thank you for what you do. I'm so glad that your digital experience collided with such a passion to keep our children safe and appreciate all the hard work you do to put out their useful um, real, true information. So thank you, Kate. And I look forward to seeing what comes with your course and everything else you do. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Bye, Kate. Bye. Kate, thank you so much for joining The Balance Girl. I look forward to seeing what course you come out with 
to uh, help parents know how to navigate this generation of how our children are being groomed and exploited through online, not online always, but um, today and age, it's a lot of times online. So appreciate all you do to bring awareness and attention to that. And I would encourage anyone listening to follow Kate J. Osin on her Instagram and give to her Move to Freedom as every dollar donated right now is going to go towards her course for online safety for kids and also is being matched by a donor. Thanks everyone. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss one episode of The Balanced Girl.